0: Welcome to the first installment of the Storyteller series Author Interviews, a Night Shift Radio Production. I'm your host, Andrea Quinn, and today we'll be talking to Marina Rubin, the author of Man in a Fedora. In Man in a Fedora, our young narrator recounts and retraces her ambiguous and unconventional friendship with the enigmatic Max Florentine. As she works to understand the circumstances of his conspicuous disappearance, she struggles to identify her place in his life and the effect he continues to have, even from beyond the purported grave, on hers. Man in a Fedora was featured in our October episode of the Storyteller series. You can listen to the full cast production, as well as all of our previous episodes, by visiting nightshiftradio.com/shows. You can also read it, and all of the other wonderful stories we featured, in print at nightshiftradio.com/storytellers/print. Marina Rubin's work has appeared in over 80 magazines and anthologies. She is an associate editor of Mudfish and a 2013 recipient of Kojeco Blueprint Fellowship. Her book of flash fiction, Stealing Cherries from Manic D Press, received an honorable mention on He Magazine's list of best books of 2014. Her short story, Good People Make Bad Couples, was shortlisted for the 2019 Writers HQ Flash Fiction Prize. And our upcoming short story collection, Snuffbox, has just won an honorable mention for the 2020 Miami Book Fair Emerging Writer Fellowship. In addition to writing, Marina Rubin is an avid mountaineer, having summited Kilimanjaro, made it to Everest Base Camp, completed Tour de Mont Blanc, and Camino de Santiago. She lives in Brooklyn. Hi, Marina. Thank you so much for joining Thanks. us today. Well, thank you for having me, Andrea. Beautiful Friday. It thank is God. absolutely beautiful. I am um, got lucky with this. Odd little warm spell in the middle of things, but I'm not gonna complain.
1: Right. Although with coronavirus, it's kind of like every day is the same day. And at this point, whether it's Friday or Monday, it wouldn't even matter.
0: Anymore. I know. I yeah, it's that's such a good point. I am I don't even know where I am or what day it is half of the time. <laughs> i wanted to start um your uh short story a man in a fedora was featured recently on our our, our podcast the storyteller mm-hmm. series of which the storyteller series author interviews as an offshoot i mean your mm-hmm. first official interview um with one of the authors over so
1: fantastic i hope you. i hope i won't be the last because i could easily <laughs> i could easily screw up and and you guys will say yeah that's not working <laughs>
0: no, i i promise you will not and i will not and then it's gonna be great um but, uh, but so I listened to your story before I actually read it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went back and I read your story a couple of times. And then I listened again to try to get the kind of full feel for it. And as I was going back through these multiple times, I just kept noticing so many just perfect and uh, like crystal clear details, which is you know kind of one of the first rules of of writing, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be specific, but I feel like you have a certain facility with that. It really, like I said, jumped out at me. And, and every time I go back through, I find a new detail that I somehow missed um, mm-hmm. with all of the other. And I'm just wondering sort of how you you know work to to make sure that that your stories are as clear and as as kind of crystallized as they are that way. <sighs>
1: uh thank you I I appreciate the (laughs) thorough analysis um I myself listened to the story obviously I wrote it and then I reread it three billion times and (laughs) revised it a a couple of more trillion times (laughs) so when I finally heard it on a podcast first of all I gotta say they did a fantastic job I the actors there were 11 voice actors and producers involved Mm -hmm. and I was shocked how good it was it oh, literally so sounded like it literally it, it sounded like an actual like old-fashioned radio production <laughs> you know like horse and wells it was yeah. that good oh, I'm um, so glad that you were happy and the and i almost felt like wow this was so good that i feel like um again i, I come from a world of print Mm-hmm. Like I need when i when i when I'm reading, when when I follow the story, I need to see it on mm-hmm. paper or on the screen. So it was very odd for me to 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 hear it as a mm-hmm. production on on um, um on the radio. So first of all, uh, definitely fantastic job. I am thrilled We're so um, as a writer, um I wrote I wrote this story. It took me five weeks. Uh, but you know obviously, I wasn't writing it nine to five. I was probably, there were some days when I would write it, uh, write six hours, and then there would be days when I write two hours, but it (laughs) took me exactly five weeks to write it. Um, When I wrote it, I saw it from the beginning to the end. Um, There was no moment of discovery. So uh, a lot of editors say that you need to write in ambiguity, you need to stay within that ambiguity and continue writing that way you will discover as as your reader uh is discovering new things as a writer as you're writing it you're discovering new things uh no i'm not (laughs) like that no uh -uh. i'm not gonna be discovering new things as the reader is reading it um when i sat down i saw it from the beginning to the end i knew where i was going there would be no surprises so when you have that kind of a rigid structure in terms of plot you can afford to be super super detailed and like really almost like an artist like a visual artist really concentrate on the visual strokes every 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 like detail was like carved out because I didn't need to worry about the plot I knew what was going to happen I knew how it was going to end it I knew every character, I knew what they were going to say, so I could really, really take the time to write them out in detail, in every light, from every angle. And that that was my process. Um, and I didn't even have to revise a lot. I mean, like a sentence here and there, you know, maybe even now I still look at it and I'm like, hmm, this needs a comma. <laughs> I remember one time I met lori moore you know lori moore she's she's amazing Mm -hmm. and she said she never ever stops revising even when the book had come out and she has written it 10 years ago she says she might still be wandering like down the books in the bookstore and she might come across one of her books she might open it and be like well, this needs a comma, and she would take a pencil <laughs> in a bookstore ten years <laughs> after the book came out, and she would be like, that's, "That needs that, that needs a comma." Seriously, imagine that. That's a good
0: point, though, because when you're not sort of what, what's the saying, uh, "Building the plane as you're as you're flying it underneath mm-hmm. you," you know, you can. Uh, of stop, like you said, and slow down and think about the the raspberry sauce and those like beautiful little details, the buffalo wings that that we Mm -hmm. talked about before I hit record that that I love so much. Um, Well, I'm
1: doing this interview from my mother's house. So (laughs) she's out there. She's in the next room. She said, I said, Donna, do not come in. I'm doing an interview. She's like, but I have to come in and be involved. I said, No. (laughs) No, she said, I'm going to ask you on the air why you thought it was necessary to make your own mother look like a complete idiot. (laughs) And yet you've managed to make your father look like he's a genius. Explain this to me. Why is he a genius (laughs) and I'm an idiot? And that, of course, would bring up all kinds of family issues the patterns <laughs> of behavior that
0: we could like, discuss in therapy for many years <laughs> well that's what the writing is for if you're not gonna do it right therapy, exactly out in the story exactly I, she should take it as a compliment that she was able to recognize herself so clearly um yeah now she's convinced that she
1: I made her look like a, a fool and just a typical Jewish mother and just she's mortified
0: that's so funny I just I know they're You know, in South Jersey, every other, I was thinking there are like two kinds of mothers in South Jersey, and one Mm -hmm. of them is the mother in your story, and I just Mm -hmm. loved her so much, I felt very connected to her that way.
1: And the funny thing is that the father is also the typical father, he says one thing in the entire story, (laughs) he says, what about Paris, and somehow he looks like, he
0: looks like an oracle, he looks like the Dalai Lama and so the the less you open your mouth you know they say exactly Exactly. that is funny I'm really stuck thinking about the the buffalo wings you were hungry (laughs) not the buffalo wings right now I've moved on but you've brought me back no but what you said about um the when you know where your story is going Mm -hmm. how how much kind of time and space then you have to to sort of play with its, with its mm-hmm. parts, right? And I was thinking about, too, how how carefully it feels to me anyway as the reader constructed uh, the, the plot is and mm-hmm. how, especially like you said, I am somebody who um, I, I read more than, I listen to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes I have a hard time following a story that isn't directly linear when it's out mm-hmm. loud. And I didn't struggle with your story that way at all.
1: I'm so glad to hear that because I was <laughs> worried about that.
0: No, I was I was right along um, with with your narrator the whole time, and so I guess maybe the answer is the same. But I'm I'm interested in how you thought about presenting the narrative in the way that you did, and particularly thinking about and I'm pulling the story up now so that I get it right. That um, that first line. It was because he was dead that I started looking for him. Right. That's that's a mm-hmm. you know if I were teaching um, a, a if I were teaching at all this semester, not in the middle mm-hmm. of the pandemic, that's mm-hmm. that's an example of a, an opening line that I would want to talk with my students about, right? It drops you right in in this really, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting what's probably going to be a mystery in some way.
1: That's a lesson I learned. I was taking up one of those Iowa writers workshops and mm-hmm. actually a writer that I know and respect, uh, a Russian writer named Boris Fishman, he was one of the uh, teachers of the class. And, um, I especially liked what he said. And I always follow that advice. He says, if, um, if your protagonist has a burning secret, um, I don't know, he killed somebody or, um, uh, like the the one, the secret, the big one, Mm -hmm. do not wait for it to do not wait Good writing is about not waiting to reveal it on page 35. Your writing starts, that that secret is revealed in the first line, and that's where you start writing. Not when the big secret shows up. <laughs> and um, so, like, he says, don't sit on the secret, state it in the first line, and then work from there. It shows advanced... Um, Wisdom? Not advanced Mm -hmm. wisdom, but he says that's where your story... Your story starts from the big secret. Your big secret can't be uh, on page 50. Uh -uh. And that's how you really develop uh, your plot in a mature, um, intelligent way as opposed to, you know, have all of that, all of that build up, build up, and then... Honestly, I can't imagine building that story otherwise. Like, why would... I mean, if I were to do it differently, I would probably write 20 pages of our friendship that no one cares about. Mm -hmm. uh, And then on page 20, I would reveal that actually he's dead. And Mm -hmm. all of that I'm remembering. I mean, how would I keep the reader reading for 20 pages until I actually say, what the actual, like, why am I even looking for him? So, yeah, that's a great advice. Um, that came in the right time. Because if I was writing this five years ago, I wouldn't have done it that way. And probably this story would not have um, delivered that kind of emotional impact if I just like wrote it in a different way in terms of time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is brilliant advice. Um, and it, it, again, it explains a lot and kind of clears up that question that I have because I think oftentimes writers think they do have to hide it, right? Because they're afraid if they give too much away at the beginning, then they're not, then that mystery won't be there. And then they're Mm -hmm. pulling tricks and trying to kind of um, hide. It also depends on what kind of secret,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, if I had revealed that actually he's alive in the first page, that would have been a a disaster. But the fact that he's dead gives me that opening to say, well, he's dead. Let me go back and re-examine that relationship. What did I miss?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, so I didn't reveal the, the big, big secret that right. he's
0: actually alive. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's, there's. I was thinking too about that, that balance too for your reader who's mm-hmm. thinking, is he, and even from the beginning because we're so kind of trained, um, people who read a lot anyway, uh, mm-hmm. what to look for in a story once you decide what kind of story it is. So the whole time I'm thinking, is he, you know, is he dead? Is he still alive? He sends the article. And I'm assuming for our listeners um, that you've already listened to the story, maybe looked at the print edition, um, which you can mm-hmm. also find at our website. Um, so if if you haven't yet, pause this, please go back, listen to the story, because I'm about to maybe spoil some plot details. Mm-hmm. I, although I guess we... We already spoiled yeah, it. it. It's, it's but but As you said, it's, you know, we, we get introduced to, to what's coming mm-hmm. sort of in the beginning. Uh, anyway, but the article that he sends about the the social network can keep on sort of communicating for you as after you've passed. And I was really stuck on that moment. You know, are mm-hmm. the emails coming from this network and and all of those things? And I thought that balancing how much to give away and how much to to give your reader and what to hold back. I was struck by that, and I think considering that that bit of advice there really kind of. Uh, clarifies that there is a line I was thinking about midway through the story Mm -hmm. there's this line this is life I thought and all its knockout beauty and boredom and the true test is to love it for its tedium not for what you want it to be but for how it truly is and talking about all of these these beautiful details that stuck with me and what makes those details so beautiful in some cases are that it is you know that that what that sort of knockout beauty in the way we think about it in this more kind of elevated way, you know, traveling through Paris, that kind of thing that we might romanticize and then versus things like, and I'm going to keep going back to it, the Buffalo Wings, mm-hmm. you know, and this, this mother um, who's so obsessed with the pressure cooker, like that's also Whoa. beautiful in this story. Um, and then that's when we move into the the season of fables,
1: right? I believe is, is After she said that to him, he mm-hmm. said, "I feel like you finally returned to me." Yeah, and that's and you you picked up on the essence of the entire story. Uh, you're very perceptive. That that is, yes, it's in the middle of the story, but that's the essence of the entire story. That's the whole point of the story. Uh, even though it looks, like, it might look like, oh, it's a mystery, or it's a story about a con man, or it's a story about you know grief, but in reality, no. It's a story about what is really beautiful and uh, what is really happiness. And in the heart of the story and in the heart of this relationship is really these two people, regardless of you know whether he's dead or not, these two people have a, um, an understanding. They're on the same page as to what beauty is what joy is, and what happiness is. Because in reality, this is a very unconventional relationship. Mm -hmm. Why would a 25-year-old girl uh, have this kind of a... Uh, this precious, precious bond with a man who is obviously in his late fifties, early sixties, pro- something like that, and this relationship doesn't fit any stereotype. He's not her sugar daddy. He's not paying her bills. They're not exchanging sexual favors for it. He's not a father figure because you can see that this woman, this girl, does not have father issues. Mm-hmm. So there's something else here in this relationship. What is? Why did? Why is? this relationship so important to both of them and um and and, and, and you know this young woman you know she, as she remembers her many boyfriends and loves <laughs> she really doesn't care about any of them except for this one this this friend who is kind of like a a, a godfather uncle figure <laughs> and she remembers him was this kind of like almost like this is her like this is her soul this is her story because in reality as you read it it looks like it's his story but it's her story Mm -hmm. and it's the story of them together um when it comes to knockout beauty we both know that with either you're a young child or with time you understand that happiness and beauty Is never what you think it would be. Uh, You think that, oh, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna be happy when I go to Paris and it's gonna be beautiful. Uh, (laughs) Not really. Oh, I'm gonna be happy when I start dating this guy and this relationship is gonna look like that and we're gonna be da 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 da. Nah, actually, no, (laughs) no. But the true test of life and a true wisdom that when you really grow up, as as a human being, as a, as a philosopher, you understand that beauty and happiness is just as it is. Mm -hmm. This is as good as it gets. Your mother talking about (laughs) Buffalo wings. This is happiness. Mm -hmm. That's as good as it gets. Or like when she drags you to, um, to look at a pressure cooker at a, at a neighbor's apartment and, you know, ISIS comes up and and as, (laughs) as, as psycho as it is, That's happiness Mm -hmm. and that's, and that's that knockout beauty that I'm talking about. It doesn't look like you would even think that that's beautiful or, or that's interesting or that's happiness. But, and again, it's much easier to understand when you're looking at it in retrospect, Mm -hmm. because as it's all happening in real time, you know, you're not that smart. You're not Eckhart Tolle <laughs> to be like, hey, I'm so in the present, I can I can grasp it. Hell no, no. You're not grasping anything. No. You're most likely bored. Mm-hmm. You're in tedium. Mm-hmm. But, and that's why I said it, you know, you have to love it for this tedium. Yeah, yeah. And not mm-hmm. for what you think it should be or what you want it to be, but okay. this tedium. And I think that's what he understood, mm-hmm. whoever he is. And that's what she understood, and that's what brought them together. And in that tedium, they tried to
0: find beauty. Yeah, absolutely. At first, as I was listening through and again trying to be sort of smarter than the story and get to where it was taking me, uh, or where I thought it might be taking me, and and at first I'm thinking, oh, this is this is big fish, you know? She's going to find that obituary, and it's going to say that he was he worked in IT, in he's got. A wife and a kid. You never, you never really get that. You don't get what what you expect for these stories. You get the story that is, you know, it's mysterious and there there is a lot going on. And and we're talking about the the sort of tedium of life, but it's not always life. Isn't always just that sort of mundane, right? So some of that mm-hmm. excitement really. is. Well, there. it has that kind of um, uh,
1: it has that kind of life-like ambiguity. Yes. yes where. Yes you never really find out that the mm-hmm. secret like that obituary never turns up mm-hmm. and you're kind of always stuck in that well it could be this but it could be that kind of mm-hmm. like
0: life you you exactly. will never know so this is just again this is just me being a, a reader who's lucky to be speaking mm-hmm. with the author right now uh, in the back of your mind do you do you have a feeling of of what is behind that what how much of what he's telling her is and you don't have to tell us. And I know. And um, are you asking me what? What do I think really happened? What's the best, the stitching behind? Well, what's 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 he doing when he's not with our narrator? And you don't have to tell me. I'm just curious if that's something you considered.
1: I never, I never considered that. If I had considered it, I would never write this oh, because. So Because, uh, you know, I I think somewhere in the story, the the narrator, the the girl actually accepts the fact that Mm -hmm. everything he says sounds half mythical, half true. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because Mm we all we all make up our own reality and then we, we tell stories about it. And this was the story. That's why she loved being with him. Because regardless of whether it was true or not, she loved the story that he was selling her, mm-hmm. um, and she was okay with that. She was okay with fables, and I think that was really the main attraction. She just took him for his story. Is it possible that he's uh, out there and he's a uh, he lives somewhere in Connecticut and he's a <laughs> grandfather and he like he he wears uh, you know pants to his chest. <laughs> yeah it's quite possible yeah it's very possible it's too funny I, it 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 could easily be but it doesn't matter because that's not what she wants yes, him to be yeah. um as far as all these people who are out there looking for him because he obviously like borrowed money i mean i i think that kind of like came came through um i mean they could
0: be, i mean yeah Right. There you know, I are mean, plenty people, of explanations, right?
1: Yeah, people probably borrowed a lot of money from a lot of people. And, you know, it was easier to pretend to be dead than to give them back. I mean, it's, it's possible. You know, we're. I think we're all bored. And, you know, here I am pretending to be a writer and there he was pretending to be uh an international man of mystery and there you are you know you're in New Jersey but you could actually be like in New Zealand right now but I don't know maybe maybe you're like maybe you like to pretend that you know you live in New Jersey and you have an Emmy from Rutgers maybe that's that's the the story you're you're spinning Uh
0: i don't know i don't think anybody um <laughs> what I'm would want to be in new jersey <laughs> yeah. i love it here very much but i think um <laughs> other people might uh might have something to say about that um but uh but but yeah you're absolutely right i'm so I'm so glad that was your
1: answer. You know, the funny thing is that I usually demand to know everything about a person. You know, as a single woman, I'm all, I'm like super, super, like whenever I meet a guy, he says hi and I'm thinking, oh, he's lying. I mean, he just said hi, but I'm like, but he's it lying. it's fishy. Yeah, there's something fishy about that. Hi. <laughs> um, so in real life, I think I'm very like hyper suspicious and I need to know all the answers and all the, you know, I need to know if he was married to whom and the, 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 I'm going to Google everybody. I'm going to Google his cousin, oh. <laughs> you know, and, and in real life, that's how I am. But what about, well, in fiction, wouldn't that be so much easier to just like, you know, accept his story as possibly true. I'm sure that his story, the story that he's telling, is so much more interesting
0: than the true story mm-hmm. than the real story.
1: Mm-hmm. let's
0: <laughs> I like to live in the space where maybe you know there is a universe where maybe he is he's just if his story is real, what a unique. Strange, wonderful. I keep wanting to say, and it feels like such a bad joke to say that he he seems larger than life when he is mm-hmm. such a small, small. man. It's uh, mm-hmm. but but I but I love that juxtaposition. I think that's so fun. We're talking so much about fables and you know myths, and when you mentioned her shelf of books, and you mentioned Marquez and Maupassant, and I was mm-hmm. just, it was so fun to see that nod that. The story knows in a way that it's mm-hmm. a story, right? She knows, of course, what she's telling us. At least in her life, is this sort of myth or what has become legend, and uh, and I just, yeah, like I said, I, I really love that. To completely sidetrack, the cookbook spy thriller is an incredible idea, and you should copyright <laughs> that before somebody steals it. I would, would. It
1: would be a fun idea if I if I liked to cook, and I don't. <laughs> Cook. So I don't know there could be a book like that out there already.
0: Maybe he's written it. No, I'm
1: kidding. I'm kidding. now I'm making stuff up right now.
0: Yeah. That's too funny though. Uh, and so we talked about, like I said, the two big things that have been stuck with me, but they really do mm-hmm. feed into that that characterization and and like I said, um as we were emailing, back and forth mm-hmm. before before we got on this call just how clear those characters are and you know hearing that your mother and if you'd like to bring her into the room to say hello to- no i um, I don't but I heard her she knows that I'm doing this
1: really important interview but I heard her work the blender why would she do that right now it's four o'clock are you are you making like baby like smoothies right now why why did she it's kind of funny. I got to tell you. So I wrote a, a, a book called Stealing Cherries, and I went on a, on this huge book tour, and I was um, in the Hamptons. Uh, you know, they um, they sent a limo, so uh, me and uh, another two writers, we went to the Hamptons, and my mother, like, came with me. And so we're, we're giving this huge ring. There were probably, like, 200 people at this reading. I mean, in the Hamptons. They have nothing else better to do. <laughs> You know, I mean, they go to readings, you know. You know, we're, we're, we're giving this reading and someone's phone rings. And we're like, you know, it's in the middle of a reading. It's a huge oh audience. God. And
0: Good I'm like... <laughs> and it's to turn your phone off. Like, that's all you have to do. Show up and turn your phone off. Yeah, I know. Guess who it was. Oh, no.
1: <laughs>
0: you know what? I don't need to guess, I don't think.
1: <laughs> I think I know. Yeah. Oh, out, of all the pe- out of all the people, it was that's... my mother... And she's like, well, your father was calling. And I'm like, come on. He was very far-clamped. You know, I was really <laughs> excited. I was really excited. Oh, and I'm so like, fun. really? Everybody turned off your, their phones except for you? But I was really excited. <laughs> and it was your father. Oh, it's mean, I
0: like, was oh, my it. God. That's too funny. See, normally I would edit out the blender sound in the background, but I'm I'm gonna have to leave it in for this one. It just I know. I think our, yeah. our listeners <laughs> are gonna love that. So, uh, well. so I'm sorry about that, but <laughs> she'll have her her appearance uh, one way. Mm-hmm. or another. No, she's gonna love it. She's gonna like totally.
1: She's gonna say, "Why did you have to make me sound like an idiot again? <laughs> what do you get out of it? What do you get out of it? I and yet, your father looks like a Dalai
0: <laughs> Lama." <laughs> again i think that that maybe i'm assuming that that mothers are like this all over but again even in at least in new jersey she's uh Mm -hmm.
1: well we're in brooklyn so so. it's much worse here it's it's (laughs) it's much worse here oh my god you heard the blender i thought it was kind of like in the uh, in the background,
0: I have good good earphones, and it wasn't it wasn't louder, distracting at all. I promise. In fact, I didn't realize that's what I'd heard until you said that. I just noticed mm-hmm. the sound, but that that is perfect. I'm I'm so glad <laughs> that that happened. To you. So please, um, that's that's too funny. We've we've just about gotten there, and you've given me. You know, I'm amazed
1: that I'm amazed that you didn't ask about the ending because everybody does.
0: We can, so let's,
1: let's. Uh, Unless you are kind of okay with the ending as it is and you don't
0: think. um, I'm I'm glad that you said that too, because that was one of the things. um, Oh, that's another, that's another moment that is focused around food. Getting an idea maybe again of of who your, your mother is. And and, then I, my guess is that probably food plays a big part in your. Of course. (laughs) I mean. Russian
1: Jewish mother what is there you know I mean that's the first question the last question what did you eat Oh, you went out to dinner what did you order oh you know what are you gonna what did you buy at the key food and
0: you know yeah it's like 90 percent of every conversation is about food. I thought about um, asking talking more about the ending and going back and forth do we just want to let it kind of rest as is because we've talked so much about letting the story be what mm-hmm. it's going to be. Um, but I think if in all the ambiguity that is in the story, I think it is maybe that at the end when we're waiting to see, is he going to show up, right? Is mm-hmm. is he going to show up with, with the trout and or not? Is that something that that people are... uh, You know, uh, that was one of the comments
1: I got literally from everybody who heard (laughs) the story or read the story. They were like, I'm very surprised at the ending. Uh, And some of my, you know, high-end readers said, well, I was very surprised that he's alive. And then I was even more surprised that he didn't show up. For me, uh, the fact that he didn't show... The, the way I wrote it, that he didn't show up, that was the easiest decision. Like, there was no way that I would write it that he showed up. Right. Um, because that would just kill the story. Why would mm-hmm. he show up? I mean, in for that story. Um, What I wanted to do, really... You know, there's a good saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was trying to do with the story. I wanted to bring this... This girl, you know, make uh, like full circle. I wanted to give her uh, an opportunity to grow, uh, to realize, to understand, to, um, to expand as an individual, uh, to have a serious uh, character arc for her and then bring her to the same place. And for him to show up would just be like, what is this a Hollywood ending?
0: No, right. there is no way I would have done that. Right. right. There was no way. There. There was zero possibility for that. Right, and that's the kind of satisfying. I'm making air quotes our listeners mm-hmm. can't see that. for listeners, obviously. And also for the purpose of readership, I, I think
1: if I I ended that way because I wanted to raise more questions, mm-hmm. like, okay, why didn't he show up? Was it even him who was emailing? Or, uh, you know, it's dark. You know, he said, I'm going to show up when it gets dark. Does it mean that he was on his way and somebody snatched him? I wanted wanted to have all of those questions out there lingering Mm -hmm. for the reader. But Mm -hmm. for for the character, for the girl, I think she got what she needed from this conflict. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: She needed to grow. She needed to see her own life as a meaningless, you know, parade of vanity that, she, you know, was the Facebook and Instagram and, mm-hmm. duh, 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 and she had dropped that and she needed to realize all of those things. And then I left her on the couch without him because she, she had herself. She had her answers, yeah, really. Yeah. And you know, as far as whether he was dead or alive or, you know, he was like involved in some shenanigans, well, that was his problem. That was right, between right. him and his karma, because she 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 was a fully realized character. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who lived through the conflict and resolved it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Resolved it. Yeah. yeah. That's-, That's how I, I don't know. Do you do you feel satisfied? Was that ending?
0: How would you have written it? Um, no, absolutely. I think the fact that the first thought part of my brain was, you know, anticipating with her what was going to happen. Is it going to show up? I sort of wanted him to just for, again, that what we, you know, satisfying to get that immediate worry or concern addressed. But then once I got past that and she's eating the the cake and the... The opera cake. She was eating it in her yeah, lap, on her it, lap. It's the opera cake and... Of the three. start or something, (laughs) yeah. And then the third one that gets tossed. But I was so happy that 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 story ended again. Like like you said, it's just her. It ends with her story. Um, Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to be there or not. And whether he shows up or we get, you know, uh, somehow total confirmation that he is dead, that takes that fable that you know myth that's being built for for the story and for your readers and for your narrator and it would put the end an end to it in a way that then it's almost like that character growth that you talked about wouldn't be necessary because she wouldn't mm-hmm. need to sit with that ambiguity mm-hmm. right and and then decide right. that it doesn't matter because this is her story and this is what what she's decided so i think yeah i think that i'm i was very happy you know uh, and <laughs> by the time we got there total side note um have you um, have you ever read Atwood's uh, The Edible Woman by any chance? No, uh, I, I I've met Margaret Atwood. She was here in New York. <laughs>
1: no, no, it, it, no. It's it sounds very very grand, but no, she was in at the ninety second Street Y, mm-hmm. and she was giving a huge reading and she was signing books. Um, cool. So I I I think she's a very interesting writer, very prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, edible Woman. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. Is it is it kind of like utopian?
0: No, no, it's a a very kind of small story about mm-hmm. a woman who is caught between all these. I'm not, you know, I read it. I haven't read it in in a few years, but I think it's set in like the late 50s. I want to say, or it, it very much feels that way because mm-hmm. um, she's kind of torn between all of these expectations for what a woman should be and. You know, it's time for her to settle down and get married. And mm-hmm. she eventually, or early on in the story, she stops being able to eat. She uh, food gets progressively le- like less and less appetizing, and and by the end, she can't eat anything at all, and she's sort of wasting away. And there's this really, um, I don't know if you could spoil a book like this, but there's a, a really cathartic scene of her, and, and also, but also ambiguous um, of her eating a cake. And I was thrown right. Right back to that with that scene.
1: Well, I I did not plagiarize that. <laughs> that was not my. <laughs> that was not um, what I was but I, I'm scene. gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna find the story online. I'm definitely gonna read it.
0: It's it's one of my favorites um, of of hers. And like you said, she's very prolific. So yeah, uh, I'm not surprised that that there's mm-hmm. more, you know slip by So I wasn't trying to. This is not. Got no, no, no I've read here. I've read quite a <laughs> few of her. She's a very good writer. Very mm-hmm. good. Excellent. That's a that's a fun one because it is so ambiguous. There's so much going on that you're not quite sure. Yeah, I think just from our short conversation today, um, I have I have a feeling that, that you might uh, really like that one. I h- hate to end our conversation talking about somebody someone else's work. No, I, I don't mind. I mean, that's a great <laughs> that's a great conversation to have there. It's, um,
1: um I, I remember you were asking me something about sh- genre and like crime genre.
0: Oh right, right, right. Yeah, that. Thank you. <laughs> you should be on this side of the uh, of the call. <laughs> yeah. So it again, and I'm repeating myself. But um, as somebody who, at the very beginning, at least, um, thought that I would be listening to a sort of straightforward. Uh, mystery suspense or our narrator um or I should say um max and then to an extent our narrator seem to think that they're in their own sort of spy thriller um mm-hmm. on anyway and mm-hmm. so as as I'm listening I'm I'm waiting I'm trying to put all these pieces mm-hmm. together it's almost it's it's funny to me. No, funny's not the right word, but you kind of you give your readers, everything up front. Now that you say that first story, that is so ambiguous. You've also, I, for me anyway, by these direct references to, you know, this, the spy cookbook, including like we, you said, uh, Maupassant and Marquez mm-hmm. and whoever else, uh, your, those nods to the different genres so that mm-hmm. we do, we, you know, we're aware of these, these conventions, whether we know mm-hmm. it or not, um, and so with all of that, you, I think I'm like, oh, I've got the toolbox I need to crack mm-hmm. the story. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's given us everything. Um, and as we've talked about, that's not the case at all with this story. Um, but it is something that I was interested in how invested in thinking about genre in general that you were as you wrote this mm-hmm. in particular. Well,
1: You know, the funny thing is when I was writing this story at the time, I was reading Patricia Highsmith. Mm -hmm. This was the first time I was reading, but I read everything she's written. And when I read that, and I don't know if you're familiar with Patricia Highsmith, she wrote Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm -hmm. She wrote Strangers on the Train. Um, She wrote Carol. Um, So she is one of those. She really is a crime writer, except Mm -hmm. for in her books, You can't spot it because it's not really, it's, yeah, crime is, yes, somebody gets murdered, but 90% of it is something else. It's about relationships and yearning and loss and anger and beauty. And then, yeah, somebody gets killed. Mm -hmm. So she takes it one step further. So um, in this story, that's what I was trying to do. And you know what? The funny thing is that this the Max could easily be a criminal. He could easily be a killer. Except for what if I'm going to write it that way? That yeah, this criminal, this killer, this comment had one beautiful spot in his life. This one beautiful relationship. Because I don't know if you notice that. Okay, let's say if he was borrowing money from everybody and their mother. He never she never said that he ever asked her for money. He she never said that he ever put me in danger. He never did this this. He never forgot my birthday. One thing that he did bad was he um he he just like disappeared when they were supposed to go to Paris. Well, it wasn't whatever it if he has a different life, let's say, of criminality, mm-hmm. it wasn't anything that had to do with her. Yeah. So um, I wanted it to be like a, a a crime kind of genre without the actual crime. <laughs> I love so that. that's how I was channeling uh, Patricia Highsmith. I don't know if you remember Talented Mr. Ripley. Really, uh, there was like two minutes of, of of like a murder and the rest is beautiful italy relationships <laughs> beautiful clothes yeah. glamour great food <laughs> you know jude law and again i'm thinking about the movie but i've read the book as well so that's what i wanted to do as opposed to gruesome you know he's a criminal he's a con man he's a killer he's a whatever i i didn't want to write any of that yeah, i just wanted it to be kind of very dreamy and um
0: beautiful Mm -hmm. dream is such a perfect word for it absolutely Mm -hmm. that's funny you don't often think about what the again if we're if we're playing in a space where he is who he has has Mm -hmm. tried at least to lead her to believe he is Mm -hmm. we don't often Mm -hmm. think about what characters like that are doing in their off time uh writing cookbooks maybe exactly this has been wonderful and illuminating and and such a i'm so happy that this is going to be our first uh official episode like i said of um the storyteller series author interviews mm-hmm. and still think you should write a, a spy thriller cookbook but maybe it's a collaborative project with with someone who is a cook
1: <laughs> maybe it's out there i think we should google it maybe it's out there maybe he stole that idea maybe i don't know
0: that's, that's
1: maybe funny. i just you know made what? that shit off I don't know.
0: <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah i'll do some research listeners and i'll put it in the show notes if uh if, if anything turns up, this was wonderful. And, um, I, I appreciate you kind of going with the flow and doing this interview from your mother's house. So we all love so much. I'm sure she added
1: all that. She added all the the spark. <laughs> she stole my
0: spotlight, obviously. I mean, the fact again, that, that you've, uh, you've used her, there's such wonderful inspiration to, for these clear characters, uh, it almost makes it that no matter what, whether she interrupts or not, right? We're getting we're getting something good because our our listeners are going to love that. So I'm sure they're going to. Wonderful. I love it. She's going to hate story. it. She's going to kill me. She's going to poison me. <laughs> it's all oh good. no! Well, we've got it on record now. We're recording, so if uh, yeah. you disappear under mysterious circumstances, mm-hmm. you know where to look.
1: Yeah. No, nah, she, she'll be fine. <laughs>
0: she'll she'll get over it. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about all of this. I'm very genuinely. Um, Mm-hmm. About so much of what you said about this for for quite a while, I think. So thank you so much, really. For okay, oh, thank you. I will talk to you soon. Bye now. Okay, bye. You can find more information about Marina Rubin and her work by following her on Instagram at marina underscore rubin nyc. The Storyteller Series Author Interviews is a Night Shift Radio production. Visit us at nightshiftradio.com.